Welcome to the Looper Podcast, the show where we make the rounds with interesting golf personalities. Here's your host, Eric Payton. Hey everyone, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of the show today. This interview was a really fun one for me to do. When I got the idea for the Looper, this guest was the very first person I thought about. Of course, at the time, I thought it was way down the road, if it ever happened at all, but we've got him for the opening episode. This guy is someone who I've really enjoyed watching play golf over the years. Not only does he hold one of my favorite PGA Tour records of all time, but he's also a British Open champion as well. You're going to hear us talk about both as well as a bunch of other interesting topics today. He's such a great guy, and I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. So without further delay. My name is Mark Kalkovecchia. I currently live in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, I grew up in Laurel, Nebraska for my first 13 years and uh, moved to uh, North Palm Beach, Florida in 1973. And uh, uh been a professional golfer for uh, 38 years now. Awesome. So I guess my first question is, how did you get started playing golf? Well, in, the, in Laurel, in the small town we grew up in, uh, my dad and his two buddies uh, got tired of driving to Wayne to play golf, uh, which back in the 60s was all of 15 miles, which uh, back then was you know a long drive. Now it's not, obviously. but uh, So they bought a 43-acre cornfield just outside of town and uh, turned it into a little nine-hole course, uh, and like any little boy, uh, my older brother was 11 years older than me, and, uh, you know, the farmers and everybody back in Nebraska, they weren't very good at golf, but uh, that that didn't matter, and I just tagged around with them when I was little and, uh, and fell in love with the game and, and just went around that little nine-hole course uh, time after time after time, and uh, that, that's uh, that's how I learned how to play golf. What was what was it about the game that you really loved? You know, it, it's just I, I was lucky because my well, unfortunately, my dad had multiple sclerosis, uh, so he had a cart, so I could uh, I could go out there. Um, you know, I, I literally played in my swim trunks, so I'd go out there in the summer and play barefooted in my swim trunks with no shirt on. I could go around the course, the nine hole course, four times, play thirty six holes in about an hour and a half. And then go swim for a couple hours, and then go back and play more golf. Uh, so it's just it was just what I like to do all summer long. And uh, there was just something about the game and, and hitting the ball that, uh, that that really appealed to me. And as I got better at it, uh, just uh, it was just something I loved to do. So, would you say you were pretty self-taught? Entirely self-taught. Uh, I had a baseball grip until. Uh, I think until I was about 17, uh, and then I was, uh, I was told, uh, by Bob Toski, uh, it wasn't a lesson, but, uh, down in Miami, I was playing in the junior tournament. He'd suggested that I, I change my grip to a, uh, overlap grip. And, uh, uh, that was about it. Um, and so I just, I just changed to an overlap grip and, uh, really, uh, didn't have a, a lesson. Uh, until I was 24 years old, and uh, that was when I started working with Peter Costas, and uh, by then I was already on the PGA Tour. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. Um, so at what point did you start thinking you could play D1 or even pro golf? Um, as soon as we got down to Florida, uh, the next winter, my brother, my older brother, took me down to the uh, 1974 Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. So I was still only 13 years old, and I was just... Uh, 
you know, I just was amazed at, at how cool it was. And, you know, my jaw was just on the ground the whole, the whole day walking around there watching the pros. And, uh, I just, I just knew right then that this is what I had to do. Uh, and, this is, and this is what I was going to do. I, I knew I was going to be professional golfer at, at that point. Uh, and, I, and I just never looked back. It, it never crossed my mind that, uh, I was going to do anything else, but play professional golf. What did, what was your time like at Florida? Oh, it was good. It was, it was, uh, I, I always say, uh, you know, it, it was the greatest three years of my life, really. Um, college is a great place if you, if you don't have to go to school. Uh, you know, I, I had a blast there. Uh, and, and honestly, you know, kind of once I got there and started, you know, made it through a few years, I, 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 I was on the five-year plan and I, I kind of knew I was never going to graduate. Um, I wasn't getting along great with the coach after a few years and, uh, uh, and I was I was no genius in the classroom either, uh, and I just I just really wanted to play golf and uh, made it another couple semesters. And then, uh, uh, long story short, uh, I won a six round qualifier by about twenty shots, and he didn't uh, he didn't take me to the last two fall tournaments uh, because he wanted me to stay in school and catch up on my grades and whatnot. Uh, so that was that was kind of the end of that. So. Uh, I uh, talked to my parents about it and uh, decided to turn pro in the winter of uh, 1980 and, and turn pro in uh, January of 81 and uh, never looked back. So how were those first few years on tour? Because I know um, maybe it was, was it six years or so before, um, you know, you really started competing in specifically in majors. Yeah, it was, it was a struggle for sure. It was a big learning curve. Um, I was on and off the tour and playing a lot of mini tour events. Um, I, I did qualify for the tour in the summer of 81. Uh, so the first five years, uh, I did, I was, I was on the tour, but then I, I lost my card for five years in a row, but I got it back every single year. Uh, and then when I wasn't playing in tour events, I was finding mini tour events to play in and, uh, other, there was a tour and, uh, the start 86 called the TPS tour and uh, won one of those tournaments in South Carolina, which was my biggest win at the time, uh, the BJ Thomas classic. And uh, anyway, at that point I, I really knew I was starting to play well. Uh, and I started 1986 with no status on the PGA tour. And as it turned out, I Monday qualified for a few tour events. I got a few exemptions. Uh, I qualified for the U S open at Shinnecock Hills, uh, finished 14th there, which would actually got me into the Masters the next year. Uh, anyway, I got an exemption into Hartford, uh, finished in the top 10 there, which got me in the next tournament, top 10 there, next tournament, top 10 there. And then I won my first PGA Tour, uh, tour event uh, in Abilene, Texas, uh, the Southwest Classic. And, uh, and then just never lost my card for the next... Uh, next 30 years and uh, well up until i turned 50 i never lost my card so that was that was pretty cool yeah we'll jump right to um the masters in 88 um what was it like leading going into that tournament where you finished second um did you have were you feeling really good were you confident in your game um specifically augusta were you comfortable with it yet you know the 87 masters was my first masters and uh i can't 
re- really remember how how well I did, but you know, it was just uh, you know such a cool tournament and such a great place. And uh, coming into the '88 Masters, I knew I was playing pretty well, and uh, the conditions were tough. I think I shot six under par to finish second, maybe seven under par. It was pretty windy. Uh, the greens were lightning quick, and uh, I just remember birdieing. Uh, I think eleven and thirteen in the back nine and making some good par saves uh, coming down the stretch. And then, uh, of course, Sandy Lyle birdied sixteen and made that amazing birdie on eighteen to, to beat me by one. But when I got up and down from short of the green on eighteen, I thought I had heard he uh, hit it in the fairway bunker on eighteen, pretty close to the lip. And, uh, Thought, well, okay, get get ready for a playoff. He'll make a par somehow. And then when he hit that shot, uh, and it rolled up the hill, and then rolled back down the hill, like twelve feet from the hole, I I, I just knew he's going to make the putt. Uh, you know. But then I thought, well, that's only my second Masters. I was only twenty years old, and I was just just coming into my prime, starting to play great. I, I was like, nah, it's no big deal. I'll I'll win it next year, or I'll win it the year after that. You know, I'll win this tournament someday. So. You know, it didn't uh, didn't really bum me out that much at the time. So, what's what's your emotion surrounding the Masters now? Oh, every April I'm incredibly bummed out. <laughs> I have been for the last uh, fifteen or twenty years. You know, since I stopped playing in it, uh, I played in nineteen Masters, I think, and uh, uh, you know, my time would be coming to a to an end now. But uh, yeah, it sure would have been nice to be there the last ten or twelve years uh, since I last played in it. I think and. I think uh, oh eight was the last Masters I played in. But then, actually, shortly after, I mean, that very next year, you won the '89 British. Was was there any um, extra drive? I guess after finishing second in the '88 Masters, to um, you know get your first major. Yeah, there was a little bit, uh, especially since uh, you know it gave me a lot of confidence that I could play. Uh, you know, great in major championships and, and, uh, potentially win one. Um, and it, plus I won the Australian open at the end of 88 or I won the bank of Boston also. And then the Australian open in 89, I won the Phoenix open. I won the LA open. So, uh, I was playing great and, uh, you know, I've won four tournaments in uh, a six month span, uh, and I was playing good coming into Royal Troon, and, and as soon as I saw the golf course, I knew I loved it. Uh, so and it's just one of those weeks where uh, everything worked out great, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, was lucky to get the get the job done there and get the win. So it's still, uh, still, obviously, my highlight of my career as far as golf goes. Now, had you played the course before? that week no that was that was the first time i'd seen it wow in um, my f- first practice round on monday there uh and it wasn't planned i just got out to the course and uh i saw mark O'Meara and uh, curtis strange and and uh asked if they had a game and they said yeah we're going out with uh, arnold in, in a half hour you want to join us so i said are you kidding so sure enough uh mark O'Meara and i took on uh, curtis strange and arnold palmer and uh I made a 20 footer for birdie in the last hole to, to, to clip him for 50 bucks. And, uh, uh, Arnie was, so, he was, he, steam was coming out of his head when I made that. Yeah. Putt. So yeah that I was, bet. Uh, I bet. So that was just the start of a, an amazing week. Uh, uh, you know, and it, it couldn't get any worse from there. That's for sure. I've heard you say that there were two of your greatest shots you've ever hit were in that same tournament 
on that same hole, correct? The yeah. 18th. Can you talk about those shots? Well, the whole the whole back nine, uh, or especially in the middle of the round, Wayne Grady was, you know, five shots ahead of me anyway. So I wasn't really thinking about winning. Uh, and then I flew that chip on the hole on 12. Uh, and after that, I, I played great. And Greg Norman was going crazy as well. So I, I knew I had to make some birdies. And then I saw Greg Norman got in at 13 under. And then I birdied 16 to get to 12 under. And, and then Wayne Grady was still 15 under. So I'm still three back playing the last hole. And I hit a good drive just short of that bumper that Norman ended up hitting it in. And I thought to myself, well, if I have any chance of a miracle, I, ha- I have to birdie this last hole. And I got slightly nervous all of a sudden, and I backed off my iron shot, which I rarely do. And I knew because I knew I had to hit a good shot. And sure enough, I got up there and just I hit it three feet left of the hole and, and made birdie to tie Greg. And then at that time, uh, Wayne Grady bogeyed 14. And then, he, you know, half hour later, he bogeyed 17 and part 18. And then next thing you know, we're in a playoff. Yeah. Yeah, and then Norman comes out and birdies. Didn't he birdie the first two? Birdie the first two again. Yeah, he birdied the first six in regulation. And then he comes out and birdies the first two. What was your mindset like when you're, you know, because you, I think you went one under through the first two and he was two under. Um, so you're not playing bad in those playoff holes. Right. Well, I hit a terrible little wedge shot into one and left my putt six feet short. So I was a little shaky for sure. And then Greg birdied one, and then I kind of send a nine iron to two on the back fringe and uh, and then made a 30-footer from the back of the green. But then Greg made another 12 or 15-footer. So I'm like, okay, I'm only one back with two to go, so I still have a chance. Uh, you know, and then I, 17 is really – 17 is junior hard holes. So uh, you're just trying to par 17 basically. Uh, and the, I think the best break uh, I got on 17 was when Greg hit it just over the green. He hit a beautiful tee shot, but he was only a couple feet over the green, and there was just a couple of tall strands of grass right in front of his ball, and he decided to chip it, and I couldn't believe that. I, I tapped my buddy who was caddying for me. I said, look at this. He's chipping it and uh, with like an eight iron or something, and he, and he chipped it 15 feet by, and... Uh, and missed it and made bogey. And I couldn't believe he chipped it. Uh, and then, of course, on 18, he blasted that drive right in the bunker, uh, which which I knew was reachable because I hit it just short of it in regulation. And uh, so I knew it was reachable, but but uh, Greg didn't think it was. So you laid back a little bit. Well, that's kind of why I hit a crappy drive in the playoff because, uh, I mean, I hit a really good one in regulation, and I was only three steps short of it. Uh, and Greg hits it further than I do. So, and, and back then, I, I never hit three woods off the tee for whatever reason. I either hit a one iron or a driver. So I, I hit a driver and just kind of hit a easy slice out there. It, it wasn't a very good drive. Uh, and then Greg just blistered one, and and I was watching it, and I thought to myself, if, if this thing kicks a little bit right, it's going to catch that bunker. Uh, he, he thought it was perfect, and it kicked a little bit right. And I saw it catch the corner of that bunker, and I was like, ooh. Yeah. Then you hit that 
next shot onto the green and kind of forced it, him. It, it, I had 201 yards from a good lie and a little wispy rough there, and I hit a five iron, and uh, <clears throat> it just never left a flag stick. And, uh, I mean, from back 200 yards out, it looked like it was two feet from the hole. Uh, I mean, it was seven feet short, but it looked like it was two or three feet. So then he, of course, tried to hit a miraculous shot, which he had no option. <clears throat> I mean, it was just a just a blast out. And he actually hit it as far as he could, but it ended up in the cross bunker about 50 yards short of the green, about 70 yards from the hole, which was absolutely dead. And then he hit that one in the clubhouse, and then and he just picked up. He didn't even finish the hole. So what was it like holding that, that claret jug then? From that point on, it was a little bit of a blur. Uh, I mean, I remember thinking to myself, standing over that putt, I could I could three putt from seven feet. Uh, I thought to myself, just just don't double hit it, you know. I, I kind of, if you watch the replay of me hit that putt, I kind of didn't really follow through. I, I almost left it short. Uh, something you'd never think of, you know. And it, it, that actually crossed my mind is just don't double hit this putt that I've never done in my life. So I kind of, I kind of, didn't really follow through and almost left it short, but it went in and then I just held my hands in the air. And uh, then I do remember kind of walking around with a trophy in the air and everybody's clapping and uh, uttered something. I have no idea what I said in the speech. And, uh, and uh, at that time, uh, my first wife was, uh, uh, she was due that day with my, with my daughter, with, with my first, with my baby, uh, with my girl. And, uh, I thought that might send her right into labor, so that's glad she held on. So there was a lot going on. It sounds like it. Well, one of the things I mentioned to you when when asked you to come on here was that you you hold one of my favorite kind of obscure PGA Tour records, and that's uh, of most consecutive birdies in a PGA Tour event. Do you remember doing this? Oh, yeah. And so you make nine birdies in a row. What is your mental state like during that well there's a there's a couple things that come to mind in that stretch um i I started on 10 that day and it's at glen abbey and on the back nine there's uh there's three par fives and two of them are reachable so anyway um 12 is a tough par three and i hit a good shot about 15 feet with a four iron and made made the birdie there i had to lay up on 13 a par five and hit a wedge close 14 is another hard hole hit a seven iron about 15 feet made that and then 15 to par three hit it close there about five feet and my uh at the at the time my 14 year old son was caddying for me and so i made that for my fourth birdie in a row and he was all excited he's like giving me five like dad that's that's four in a row <laughs> and he was all excited i said yeah i know but but i happened to no, in my head, you know, he doesn't really, he's not familiar with the course. And I know the next hole is a reachable par five, 18 is a reachable par five, and number two is a reachable par five. So I'm just thinking to myself, well, I've got three of my next five holes are pretty easy holes. So I'm thinking I can make at least another two or three birdies. And, and I'm just thinking up ahead a little bit that I want to, you know, I can probably shoot a good round here today because I'm already four under through seven or six. Anyway, so I hit 16 and two and two putt. 17 is a pretty tough hole. I hit a six iron in there about 20 feet, and I made that. 
18 to par 5. I hit a 5 wood about 10 feet. Now I'm thinking to myself, well, if I make this, I'm going to screw up my birdie streak. <laughs> and I think, no, I don't, don't want an eagle. Just, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I try my best to make the eagle putt and hit a great putt, and it slow lipped out. So I'm like, dang. But, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's seven in a row. And now I'm like, we go to one. And it's a dogleg right par four. It's about a driver nine iron hole. And I had a really tough pin. And I hit it about six feet above left of the hole. And I had a really fast downhill breaking left to right putt. And I knew it was to tie the uh, PGA Tour record of eight in a row. And uh, I, I just hammered it. I said, the only way I can make this is to hammer it. I'm either going to make it or three putt. And I just I just pounded it in there. I hit it. If I'd have missed it, it had gone seven feet by. So... That's eight in a row. And uh, here's the other funny story. The next hole is a par five that's reachable. And it's a dog leg right. And then my son says to me, Dad, don't duck hook it over there by the fence like you did yesterday. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that actually kind of relaxed me. Yeah. So I, I laughed. Yeah. So long story short, I hit a good drive and a three wood on the green and two putted for nine in a row. So the other the other funny thing was is I was playing with J.P. Hayes, who was one of the uh, seven or eight guys who had made eight in a row, who had the old record. So he says to me after I made the ninth one, he says, uh, thanks for breaking the only PGA Tour record I ever had. So that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of funny. So he didn't say anything before the, uh, before no. the nine? No, it's like a, no. a pitcher and a no-hitter. You can't. It, it, yeah, he just kept saying, nice birdie, nice birdie, yeah. nice birdie. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, but you were aware of it, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I knew what the old record was, and then. Uh, like I said, once I once I birdied, uh, uh, when I made four in a row and, and you know made the fifth one, and then when I made the twenty footer on seventeen to get uh, six in a row, and then kept it out of the water and hit the green on uh, eighteen, and then two putted for seven in a row. I, I knew the next one was for eight, and uh, I, I knew what was going on then. Now, was the gallery aware? At what point did the gallery become aware? Or you know. I, there weren't that many people out there watching me. Um, I think it was the second round. So, and a lot of, actually, the, the, it was a really, it was a rainy week that week. And shortly thereafter, there was a rain delay. And not even hardly any of the players realized it. And then we're in a rain delay, and it, kind of the word started getting out. And the guys were coming up to me, and they said, you made nine birdies in a row? So all of a sudden, everybody started coming up to me, like, looking at me like I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so what happened but, on that tenth hole? I hit it in the left rough. I, I hit a bad drive and uh, hit a flyer over the green. So I, I had a pretty tough chip and uh, hit a good chip, but uh, it missed and I made par. And then after that, uh, I kind of lost my momentum and made a bogey a couple holes later. And uh, that was it. I don't think I made another birdie. <laughs> but the other amazing thing about that is um, I don't think you'll ever find another nine-hole stretch uh, where you're going to have four par, par fives. You might find a nine-hole stretch where you have three par fives for sure because you'll have, you know, two on a nine and then the tenth hole will be, uh, you know, like you, you might birdie two, eight, you know, ten and eleven, and the eleventh might be a par five. But the odds of having four par fives and nine holes are really slim, uh, and, and that definitely helped my cause. Yeah, kind of a unique setup. And, yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, had you played? I, I assume. I mean, it was a second round, but had you played there before that tournament? 
Oh yeah, I, I played there every year, so you know, super familiar with the course and everything. It was actually one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, there's there's one other kind of uh, second interesting record that you hold that I, I've I've found interesting. You have the lowest second nine score at the Masters ever with a twenty nine. Uh, do you remember in '92? Uh, yeah, I remember it all, and I actually could have I could have birdied them all that day. I, I made a twenty footer on ten, and then missed it from ten feet on eleven and six feet on twelve, and then birdied the last six. And uh, most of them were fairly close range. You know, I, I two putted twelve and fifteen, and and the, all the others were inside five feet. I mean, I hit the pin on 18. It was just one of those things. I just, every shot was going straight at the flag. It was something. Yeah. So one of the other things that, that I wanted to ask you about is um, the 2015 Principal Charity Classic win, because that's, that's my, like I said, my hometown event. Um, my first pro job out of college was at Wakanda. It was, it was before the Classic was there. Um, but I remember us, you know, working towards getting that event there and, um, what's, what's that event mean to you? What's that win specifically mean to you? Well, when we first, uh, when I first turned 50 and we, we got to Des Moines, uh, we, we, my wife and I absolutely love it. She's from Columbus, Ohio. And, and me, of course, growing up in Nebraska, it reminded us, uh, both a lot of, uh, of kind of where we grew up. Uh, I mean, West Des Moines is just beautiful over there. It, it's so, clean and so uncluttered and and i mean there's every store in the world over there uh you know there's no traffic everybody's so nice there um so we we just uh i mean we actually looked around uh thinking about uh buying a place there and, and anyway so we we love glen oaks and i had some good tournaments there and had a good chance to win and and then uh you know when we moved to uh wakanda i guess it's been five years already um you know, I went over and played a practice round. I'm like, you know, I was like, Ugh. I was like, I kind of like, think I like Glen Oaks better. But then, of course, I finished second, third, second. What you know, I had, I keep, I kept having top three finishes there. <laughs> you know, and I, I just played the course great, and I really fell in love with it. Uh, you know, and then, uh, and then winning in 15 was was fantastic. Uh, you know, I finally had a bad tournament a few years ago, but. Uh, there's just something about the course that suits my eye. Uh, I love, I love, I've always loved old style courses and, and tree line courses like that. And, uh, I've, I've always liked hilly courses. So, I, you know, I don't know why I really didn't appeal to me at, at first sight, but, uh, I, I do love coming there to play and, uh, it's certainly always, uh, always going to be on my schedule. That's good to hear. So I also had heard that you won that event in 15 with a putter you'd just bought off the rack at a Iowa golf store. Right. Yeah. I had the, I had the week off and, and we always take our, uh, we travel around that time of year in our motor home and, uh, we park over by Chow's gymnastics. Uh, and, uh, at any rate, we had the week off before that. So we really didn't know what to do. So we thought, well, let's just go to Des Moines and, and just, you know, play some golf and work on my game and whatnot. And, uh, I only had a few putters with me. Uh, so, we went to Dick's for something or other, so I just went up to the golf area and looked around, and I saw a ping answer to a black one, and as soon as I looked at it, it just looked fantastic to me. So I hit like 15 putts on their on their little putting green in the store with it, and of course, of course, I made every single one of them from 10 feet, and there was a guy in there, and he says, uh, 
I think you should buy that one. I said, I, I said, I think you're right. It's kind of working. You know, of course, some, a lot of those places you can't miss, you know, because I think the, they're kind of sloped towards the hole. Yeah, they're funneled in there. So uh, sure enough, I bought it. And then uh, we, we played uh, that week. We played Wakanda. We played Glen Oaks. We played, uh, went and played Harvester. And we played uh, Des Moines Country Club. We played four rounds of golf the week before. And I really started finding my game, and I really started putting good. And uh, this came into the week uh, in 15, really feeling like I was playing good and putting good. And uh, sure enough, that was the case. So, The picture of you winning that Sunday, you got these bacon pants on. What was the story behind that? Well, that year, uh, a friend of ours there in Des Moines, uh, Brooks Reynolds, who was the uh, co-founder. I don't know if you know Brooks or not. Yeah. Everybody knows Brooks. Um the co-founder of the Blue Ribbon Bacon Festival asked me if I'd wear some uh, bacon pants the first round. I said, well, you, you better send me a pair or two so I can see what they look like. I don't want to look like a complete idiot out there. So he sent me two pair, and uh, they didn't look that bad. So I said, sure, I'll wear them the first round. And uh, I ended up birdieing like uh, four to the last five holes to shoot 67, I think. So... You know, that, that left a good taste in my mouth. So then I put the other pair on the next day and uh, had another good round. So I said, shoot, I better wear them again. So I put the pair, you know, hung up the pair of wear the first day and wore them again the last day and uh, ended up winning the tournament with them. And, uh, of, course, uh, of course, the fans loved that, and uh, that, that went over well. And So that was a pretty big story. So every year since, I get the, I get to wear the bacon pants deal. I will say one thing though they're 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 hot they're they are sizzling they're they're like wearing a pair of rain pants they're, they're the hottest pants I've ever worn so yeah so I wanted to wrap up with some kind of random questions here. What would be your career highlight other than the british uh sure would have been nice to to have a green jacket in my closet, yeah, I think about that a lot uh and and plus uh th- th- I'm sure that would have put me in the Hall of Fame. So those two things together would have uh, uh, would have kind of capped off a great career. The next one is, what's the, your favorite course you've ever played? My favorite course is uh, Sand Hills in Nebraska. I absolutely love it. I, I've only played it once, and it was, uh, shoot, 20 years ago maybe. Uh, we were actually going to go play it last year, and... Uh, Things just didn't quite work out where we didn't get out there, but uh, I'm dying to get out there again. I see it's up to number nine in the country now, and uh, every hole to me was perfect. Uh, I absolutely loved it, so I can't wait to get back out there again. Um, One final question. I wanted to ask you about uh, the Ryder Cup. Um, You played on a couple Ryder Cup teams. Um, What what stands out to you from those experiences? How do they rank in in your career? You know, they were, uh, I played in four of them, um, and I had two losses, a tie and a win, and the tie, we we gave that one away, which which was like a loss because we lost the year before. Um, I think I was 6-7-1. and one. Um, You know, winning your matches felt great. Uh, losing your matches didn't feel so great, and but, you know, it's about the team thing, and I just remember when we uh, and I was one of the guys that hit in the water in '89 at the at the Belfry myself and you know Freddie lost the last hole I think Payne also did and I think 
Ken Green also did. I think there were four or five of us that lost the last hole to end up 14-14. I, I mean, we just, I mean, we were all balling. I mean, we felt so bad. You can't even believe it. Uh, you know, that that was terrible. It, it just wasn't any fun. <laughs> but, but, you know, and then, you know, it's a, when you win, it's a lot of fun, certainly. But uh, it's, it, it's a fun event to watch. You know, I, I'm sure the guys didn't have much fun last year. Uh, you know, you saw the Euros, they had a blast. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough deal. It's, you want to play your best, and uh, sometimes you try so hard you can't get out of your own way. It, it's a hard event to describe. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and rate The Looper wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Looper Podcast. Talk to you next time.